Welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, I speak with herbalist and folk healer Sophia Rose about technological hygiene and her thoughts on connection in the digital age. Sophia Rose is a woman who listens closely to the singing of the Earth's spirit and shares the beauty of all she hears in her work with plants and people. She's the force behind La Abeja Herbs, a nomad's apothecary that creates herbal remedies that are made in accordance with the lunar phases. She describes her goods as being made for the dreamer, the visionary, and the lover to nourish the wild aspects that live within you. Garden Party is a new offering that she's created for anyone longing to experience deeper connection with themselves and with the earth. Garden Party is a revolutionary take on online herbal education, which features monthly videos, articles, playlists, herbal how-tos, recipes, and medicine tales. It's truly unlike anything you've ever experienced. Her most recent guide about technological hygiene has been much discussed online, and the topic was so captivating to me that I invited Sophia Rose on the show specifically to talk about it. One quick note before we start, Sophia spoke to me while sitting outside in her garden, so you'll hear the sweet voices of birds and the occasional vehicle in the background. Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm excited to speak with you today about a guide you created for Garden Party about getting real about a relationship with technology, and in particular, our collective addiction to smartphones. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to exploring this topic with you. This hits a very personal note for me right now because a few nights ago, I actually burst into tears as I remembered waiting in an icy stream behind my family's house in Bavaria when I was five and picking fresh currants for jam, all the while not thinking about taking a photo or sharing the moment with anyone but myself and just remembering how blissful that was. And at that time, the most I would do was maybe write in my journal or sketch a little drawing, but it was done at such a slow pace and with a reverence for the intimacy I had with myself. And it wasn't for showing others. And so, you know, I'm really grappling with this now because as much as I cherish the connections and opportunities that social media affords, including being able to connect with your work, I really worry that we're losing something precious, um, which is the depth of our attention to the moment. So thank you for sharing this guide. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And my wish for you is to have so many more moments like that in your life moving forward where there is no thought of technology, or at least if you, you do choose to use it, it feels like a choice and not an obligation. And I think so many people can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that. And we're not talking about it enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that you say in the guide. Um, you talk about how it's disturbing just how little we are talking about this or asking ourselves the question about how often are we spending time on our phones and are we even noticing when we reach for it and why, <laughs> which I think is fascinating. Yeah, so for me, this, this whole topic really came to light when I was in Cuba for a week. And, um, you know, often when we go on vacation, we unplug somewhat, but it's rare that we have uh, any stretch of time where we have no access to phone, internet, or any, any communication in that way. 
And so for me, being in a country far from, I was there alone as well. And so it was really just me and my inner world and the people and plants and places that were directly in front of me. And the experience I had in that week was so profound and such a wake-up call for me because sometimes it takes the contrast of what you've been experiencing to even realize that something's out of balance. And certainly I had had some sort of inkling that like, "Mm, this, this isn't feeling good anymore. You know, I'm spending hours a day on my phone, partly for work, but partly just for no reason at all, you know? And I think so many of us have that experience of picking up our phones and then 20 minutes later being like, oh, I was going to check the weather. Like, I don't even, I didn't even do that, you know? And you're reading an email and getting caught up in that or who, you know, any number of things. And, and then of course what you said, it's, it's not only is it, um, something that's taking up a lot of our time, but it's also taking us away from the time that we usually aren't on our phones. Those moments when we're in nature or with people we love or by ourselves. And, um, most people have just accepted smartphones as a part of daily life. And I think that they're amazing tools. I really want to make that clear before we any go any farther into the conversation. Like you and I are talking right now because of a smartphone. I run my business because of a smartphone. I have a lot of my friends because of a smartphone. Like it is, it really is a magical tool. And like any tool, it has the power to, um, to heal or to hurt. And, I think the most important thing is that we are making conscious choices about how we're using our phones because with anything that we have, um, you know, there's, there's almost nothing in the world that in my opinion, that is inherently bad. Alcohol is not inherently bad. Like, um, it's how we choose to engage with it. I think it's an excellent point because it's about conscious choice where a lot of us have picked up a smartphone and it's very subtly insidiously rooted itself into our daily life and our consciousness to a point where many of us truly are addicted. I I would say that I absolutely am to the point where sometimes I'm looking at Instagram and my son is literally climbing on my head to try to get my attention. And this is another thing for me is that I have a son who's very young and he sees, he thinks human beings look at these little boxes. That's what he's learning. He's learning human beings stare at this screen. He doesn't know what it is and why it's so important. It's almost like a, some kind of like talus, like powerful talisman that we give so much power to and so much attention to. And I really do worry. I worry about what he's learning about what humans do. And I see him pretending to have a phone now all the time and it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. And I think that, um, so one of the things I go into in the guide is, um, that our brains are highly plastic. Our neurological networks are always growing and changing and evolving in relationship to whatever environment and stimuli they're being exposed to. That's why when you practice something a lot, you become extremely good at it. It becomes second nature. It's because it's becoming hardwired into your brain. And in my research, one of the things that I found that was um, most troubling and I think most important for us to become aware of is that our brains are literally being shaped in response to the technologies that we're using. And um, you may have noticed this. I certainly did in as far as my ability to focus 
and to remember things. Um, I'm someone who has always had a really good memory. And in the last couple of years, I just started to realize like, I don't know what I ate for breakfast. I don't know what I did yesterday. And a lot of that is because we're on our phones and we're not actually present for what we're doing. So we can't store that as a memory. Um, but also the way that we're dividing our attention is really drastically um, decreasing our ability to maintain sustained focus. Um, and I bring all this up because you mentioned your son and, you know, many of us know this, but young brains, of course, are the most highly plastic and the most impressionable. And kids and teenagers are also the demographic that are spending the most times on their devices. And um, the next generation, their preferences, their neurology, their beliefs are literally being shaped by the technologies that they have access to. And many designers of these technologies, whether it's the iPhone or certain apps, they don't allow their children to have them. And it's because you know, I think that that's really important for us to pay attention to because I think that indicates that there are probably some unforeseen consequences of exposing ourselves to these technologies at too young an age. Um, and while I was in Cuba, I also, this is a little bit of an aside, but it really drove this point home for me as I was reading this amazing book, which is off topic for another garden party. Um, <laughs> it's called um, Vagina, and it's by Naomi Wolf, who's an amazing writer and researcher. And one of the things she talks about in that book is uh, pornography addiction, which is actually quite similar to technology addiction because all addictions are rooted in the dopamine response. And one of the things that she talks about in that book and in the research around pornography addiction is that in the recovery programs that they were researching, older subjects were actually able to regain sexual function much more quickly than younger subjects. Which sounds confusing, right? You'd think that like a young 25-year-old boy would be able to bounce right back if, he, if they like uh, took away the stimuli. But what they assume or like, you know, what the researchers decided was probably the reason for this confounding experience was that these older test subjects, their erotic response was not shaped by pornography, and the younger subjects, their erotic response, because they grew up in the age of pornography, was shaped by it. And so those neurological networks were so much more hardwired. And the reason that this felt important is because, of course, you know, separate from pornography, everyone is having access to devices at younger and younger ages. And so it might be much easier for older people to recover and to, you know, regain their sense of what is real and what is important than a brain that is actually being shaped at a young age by these things. Wow. Yeah. So it makes me think that, for example, a young person who's used to looking at their iPad and receiving that dopamine response and that sense of joy, whether fleeting or not from their cartoon, maybe they can't stand in a cold stream of water and listen to the water trickling and as easily access that sense of joy and calm and, and peace because their brain hasn't created those pathways as strongly because they just haven't had as many of those experiences yeah yeah also just a qualifier I have nothing against pornography just in the same way I have nothing <laughs> against iPhones it's it's all about being intentional and being conscious of the way we're engaging with those things right and and that that makes me think of the quote that you start the guide with which is from Ben Okri um, saying, beware the stories you read or tell subtly at night beneath the waters of your consciousness, they are altering your world. So it really makes me think about 
the things that we're not conscious that we're consuming and we're digesting and we're processing without really our active consent. And I think that's what you're kind of pointing to. Yes. And that happens on so many levels. Um, and one of the things I talk a lot in the article about in the technological hygiene guide is specifically social media. Um, I don't think that we understand what a roller coaster for the unconscious mind it truly is. Um, I know for me, oftentimes after I look at my phone, I feel a significant sort of dip in my energy and I'm not always sure like, hmm, like why do I suddenly feel, you know, this sort of sense of insecurity or this sense of like my, my work isn't meaningful. My, you know, everyone else has already done it. Um, and of course those, those thoughts are often not conscious. It's just sort of this vague sense of, um, you know, feeling crappy. Mm-hmm. And I really, in the article, I encourage folks like, pay attention to what you're letting in because the subconscious takes it like it takes it all in, in the same way, whether you're just scrolling through Instagram or if you're looking into the eyes of your beloved, like it is all important information. And we are, we're consuming just even as far as the quantity, the amount of information we're consuming is so um, exponentially greater than at any other point in human history And it's leaving us feeling exhausted and it's leaving us having a hard time paying attention to what does really matter, which, you know, which we all have to define for ourselves. And I think that we are, uh, we as a culture are beginning to, to default because there's so much space taken up by these things that we take for granted as far as, you know, replying to text message, emails, social media, um, on this, on this time scale that isn't really human. And one of the things that, um, I also suggest that people do in the guide and that I've done in my own life and business is create auto responses. Like, because these communications should be happening at the speed of life and not the other way around. Hmm. What a wonderful suggestion. I love that. Um, and this brings me to the, a question I had about the role of boredom in our lives and those idle moments when we're alone with our thoughts. And um, you make a connection between boredom and creativity. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I I write about, talk about, and think a lot about um, the importance of spaciousness in our lives because what I see is everyone's looking for some kind of solution. They, they know that something is really missing in their lives and they're looking for some kind of solution. And often the solution is just doing nothing. When you give yourself the space for your nervous system to really just relax and settle, you put your feet on the earth or you even just look away from your phone for a minute and notice where you are. It's those moments of spaciousness that were previously built into our days. You know, if you were sitting at a restaurant with someone and they went to the bathroom and you didn't have your phone, you would just look around. You would like notice the trees outside. You'd notice the other people, see what they are wearing. Maybe you'd notice someone you went to high school with and it would spark this memory. And then, you know, it it would change the tone of your day. Um, And one of the things I've tried to be very intentional about is, is not just grabbing for my phone in those idle moments and recognizing that I have an opportunity to be where I am and to be with myself. And, um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quote her exactly cause I won't be able to remember, but I have a really wonderful friend and teacher named Sonia Sophia, whose work I highly recommend. And she says something that I just love, which is like any idle moment you have is an opportunity to go on retreat with the divine, you know, and to, 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 
to recognize like maybe we don't have a day or a week to, you know, go and spend in the woods or in meditation, but we all have moments in our day that we can be taking to reset ourselves and check back in and, and um, relax. And too often those are spent on our phone. It's so true. I notice in myself that when I'm particularly unbalanced during the day, I I feel this sense of hunger and this longing and I reach for Instagram and I try to feed it that way. And then I'm left with more hunger and more longing. And it's, it's kind of a brutal cycle. And I, but now I'm starting to at least be conscious of, Oh, I'm having that, that reaching for feeling and what can I do instead? I think that's so intelligent that you're asking that when you witness that feeling. And that is exactly what, what you can do is check in with yourself and ask, what am I feeling? What do I need? Is this how I want to be spending my time? And one of the things that I did through the guide is I actually uh, took some of my favorite beautiful photos that I've taken and um, I made iPhone backgrounds that say those things so that when you pick up your phone... It's right there for you um, to check in before you, you know, open whatever app that you're unconsciously going to go toward. Yeah, those are beautiful. Thanks for making those. So I think a lot about colonization and um, I talk about this with my husband a lot as well. And, um, you know, it's not to get too dramatic about it, but truly... um, some of these technologies are programming our minds. I mean, that's just the truth. And um, one thing you say is our awareness and internal space is sacred and must remain sovereign. Um, What in your mind is the role that we need to play in our own decolonization by these forces of technology? Thank you so much for bringing that into the conversation. Um, Obviously this is a really complex topic and um, Let me take a moment to to think about how I want to respond. It is more important than ever. More important than ever that we remain connected to what is true for us. Because of the grand experiment of the internet and social media and the ways in which it has created a a hive mind, which can be a really positive thing or a really negative thing, we have to learn to discern what voice is ours and what voice is sort of implanted in us from outside. What are the messages that we are um, digesting and regurgitating and what are the messages that are truly coming from our soul and ourself. And it's really interesting. I released this article the the Sunday before the um, Facebook involvement in the Trump campaign became like really big news. It was literally the day before I thought that was very interesting. And I talk about that a lot in the article Um, Because it's not, that wasn't new information. It just became highly public at that time. And one of the things that is most troubling to me uh, about technology is that um, our phones are essentially collecting information about us all the time. They know how many steps we take a day. They know if we move quickly. 
they uh, they know so much about us. And we're essentially filling out a personality questionnaire all day, every day, without thinking about it. And that information is being used. That's, it's, not, it's not just going nowhere. That information is being bought and sold. And the, oh, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> Thank you. Sunday in class, if you don't cry, it's not a good day if you don't cry. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. If I really care, I have to cry while I speak it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's, you know, I... I'm, I'm sure many of the folks listening uh, are familiar with my wonderful friend, Asia Suler's work. And if you're not, I hope you'll go look her up. But one of the things she says, which I just love, she talks about truth tears mm. and how when you cry, you know, it's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a gift. So yeah. Um, because of the way that we engage with our phones and social media, um, there's more information about all of us available uh, than there ever has been before. And I, I encourage folks to read the article because I don't want to go into this too much. But um, essentially that information has been bought and sold and has been used by various political campaigns to uh, do micro-targeted ads in order to uh, manipulate voters. And there have been a lot of other instances that don't necessarily have to do with elections but have to do with... Um, People impersonating um, others online and swaying large groups of people to, to violent action. Um, there's a very uh, well-known instance of that where there was uh, a Facebook group that was supposedly run by Texans but was actually run by Russians. And um, they ended up inciting a very large group of people to, uh, to some sort of you know, armed protest. And so it's more important than ever that we are discerning about how we are allowing our emotions to be influenced by social media, like what we are understanding as truth, how we're defining truth, what we're allowing to be true. Um, Because I think that as the world becomes supposedly more connected, we become more easily manipulated. And um, that can be a dangerous thing when there are large groups of people who are... um, you know, susceptible to that. So the the reason that I feel that this is so important right now and that it is a highly political issue as well as a spiritual and psychological and physically physical health mm-hmm. issue is because I see all of the levels that this is affecting us at personally, politically, socially. Yeah. Yeah. And as you speak, I just can't help but think about the youth right now. So many of them who who don't remember a world before Facebook and Instagram and likes and followers. And, you know, in my work and in life, I come across a lot of issues around youth depression and youth suicide. And I can't help but think that some of this technology addiction and the way that it's framing um, their world has an effect on that. And I, it makes me really think that something like your technological hygiene guide should be something that's, that's, that's core curriculum in every junior high. I mean, let's make this happen people. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. Technology is basically the one of the only addictive things that is not, um, you know, there's no age limit. There's no legal age limitations around it. And I do think we're going to see that change. I hope we see it change. Of course, I think that um, parents should be paying attention to this, you know, and we don't necessarily need the government to tell us what age is appropriate because I, I don't think that that's they necessarily have our best interest in mind at all times. But yes, I totally agree. I think that, um, I think that this is playing a huge role in the rising rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide in teens. And the flip side of that is that I see so many young people using technology in ways that blow my mind. Mm -hmm. And that feels really hopeful. Um, you know, I think that, particularly um, in relationship to the gun violence that's been happening, watching the way that um, these young people have so skillfully used social media to galvanize their cause and galvanize themselves um, is really inspiring. I think we can all take a lesson from that and recognize just like just how powerful this tool is, mm -hmm. how important it is to keep it free and available. And that's a whole other topic um you know the mm -hmm. i actually can't even think of what 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 was that bill that was going on net neutrality yeah net neutrality mm -hmm. keeping corporations out of um prioritizing certain websites over others and access to certain platforms yeah 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 and the potential that that um, that, that ruling to um, eliminate net neutrality has on the possibility of the net being a tool for revolutionary action, I think is very troubling and something that we need to pay attention to as well. Yeah. So for any listeners wondering about that, just Google net neutrality and you'll learn all about the issue and why it's so important. Well, Sophia, you offer some excellent tips for reclaiming our time and attention in the guide. And I wondered if you could share some of the ones that have been most beneficial for you in your life. Absolutely. So for me, the most important things have to do with my morning and evening routine, because I think so many of us wake up and the first thing we see when we open our eyes is our phones. And same thing before we go to bed. So I have made a rule for myself that feels really good and actually really easy to not bring my phone in my bedroom ever at all. And I used to charge my phone by my bed. Now I charge my phone in the living room in one specific place. I've chosen a home for my phone, which I recommend that everyone do. And, you know, if you live in, you know, if you just have a bedroom, I, then, you know, you can charge it in a drawer, just somewhere as far away from you as possible. I like doing it in my living room. Um, and in addition to not bringing the phone in the bedroom, I don't turn my phone on until a certain time or until after I have done my morning practice of meditating, writing my morning pages, and, um, you know, having breakfast. Because those are the things that that, 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 that time is really for me to be with myself. And there's, there's no involvement in my phone there. Um, I do use my phone as a meditation timer, so that's a little troublesome, but I always keep it on airplane mode. And if anyone out there has a recommendation for a meditation timer that is not a phone, I would love to hear about it. Um, and then I also, you know, I there's really simple things you can do, like buy an alarm clock. That's another one that's huge. I, I personally luckily don't have to use an alarm clock very much, but um, that's an important thing to have on hand. Um, 
So that, that is huge because right there, if you're not bringing your phone in your bedroom and you have a time in the morning that you turn it on and a time in the evening that you turn it off and those are non-negotiable and it doesn't have to be a a clock time. Like I said, like I don't turn my phone on at 11 AM every day. It's just whatever time I have finished those things, that's when I turn my phone on. And similarly in the evening, okay, I'm, I'm done with work. I've spent my 30 minutes on the phone. Phone is going into, um, airplane mode, do not disturb all the way off. And I understand, obviously, like most people don't have a home phone, and so you still have to be able to take calls. And there's ways to work around that that I go into in the guide. And um, that technology is always changing. There's definitely ways you can figure that out. And it's going to be really personal for everyone. But that is the most simple thing I can recommend. There's also a lot of really great apps that are helpful, at least at the beginning of um, taking a step away from your phone. One that I really like is called uh, Moment, and it basically just keeps track of the time that you spend on your phone, and that can be very humbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it will send you. It will. You can you can set the settings so that it will send you a reminder that says you spent 15 minutes on your phone today. You spent 30 minutes on your phone today. You spent three hours on your phone today. <laughs> um, hopefully that doesn't happen, but there are days when it has, and um, you can also set a. a a limit for yourself where if you go over that limit, your phone will start making a horrible noise and you basically won't be able to use it. Um, So, you know, there's degrees, right? You can really decide how far you want to go with it. But for me, that felt like um, a good first step. And now I don't feel like I need that. Um, But the reality is, and there's really no shame in it. Like we are addicted to our phones. It is a physiological response that we are having. And um, sometimes you have to, you know, take take more dramatic measures at the beginning when you're literally kind of withdrawing from something and you can feel a little anxious when you want to reach for your phone and you don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then the flip side of that, like whenever you are, whenever you're removing anything from your life, the most important thing is to replace it with a a healthy habit that you do want. And so, you know, in the guide, I go into this and I, I create space for folks to like write that list of like, what are five things I can do or 10 things I can do instead of reaching for my phone, you know, and, and having those on hand and having those in your mind and recognizing like, what are the reasons I reach for it? I personally, I live alone. I reach for my phone a lot when I'm lonely. Um, and it definitely doesn't make me any less lonely, (laughs) you know? And so looking at those underlying unmet needs is also going to be obviously pretty important and easier said than done, but really essential to living a good life. Thank you for those. Yeah, I noticed that when I return home from a family gathering where I feel really connected and really nourished, I don't even want to look at my phone. It seems so two-dimensional. I'm just like, oh, why would I put my attention on this? I just had such a beautiful conversation with my mom or my niece, and it feels, yeah, it's it's not fulfilling in the same way, but when I am a little more disconnected, then it's, it's like that junk food for me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you just mentioned is another great place to start. And it's something a lot of people do naturally, but m- maybe some of us don't, which is that when we are with another person, the phone is in the other room. The phone is on silent. The phone isn't on the table at dinner. Even the small ways that we can take space from our phones are really powerful. And I have a practice now whenever I'm spending time with my friends, my phone is always in the car. It's not with us. Mm, that's a great idea. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of like care and respect and presence as well. Like I am fully with you while I'm with you. I'm not waiting on a message. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to take my attention away to check an email. Right. Thank you for all of this. Um, 
Are there any other thoughts you'd like to leave us with around this topic or anything that feels particularly present and important to you right now? We need our phones a lot less than we think we do. And um, just because we can use them doesn't mean we should. And I think it's it's a fun challenge when you frame it like that. Like, um, you know, rather than looking up directions to somewhere, just see if you can remember the way or maybe mm-hmm. try asking someone. Like, there's all of these little ways that we don't even realize that we are dependent on our phones. And so starting to be curious about them. I think that this is, if, if we frame this as an opportunity to enjoy life more, it becomes much more exciting than if we frame it as um, the need to use our phone less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the moment you described at the beginning of our talk, like we all have those those moments in life that we can either remember or that we've had recently where the phone wasn't even on our mind. And that's really living. If we're constantly watching ourselves live, thinking about what it would look like to take a picture of what we're doing or tell someone about what we're doing, if we're going to, you know, do an Instagram story about something, I think there's a place for that. But I don't think that we need to do it all the time. And it needs to feel optional. It needs to feel like something that's bringing you joy and adding to your experience rather than taking you out of it. And that's really what it comes back to because we have these amazing tools in our lives and they have the potential to improve our lives dramatically and they have in many ways. But the moment that your phone starts to detract from your lived experience is the moment to make a different choice. That's so beautifully said. <laughs> For our listeners who want to get access to this guide to technological hygiene and other offerings from you, how can they find your work online? I have two homes online. The first one is Garden Party, which we've been speaking about. And you can find Garden Party by visiting gardenparty.love online. And what it is is a... Um, It's an online community for herbal learning and living well. It's a slow and steady guide to um, finding yourself at home in your life and in the world and cultivating a connection with the plants and the place where you live. It's herbalism that takes into account that plants come from somewhere, that they rise up out of a history of uh, places and people and political contexts. And that's all part of their medicine. And so part of why I offered this guide and how I feel that it relates to plant medicine is um, that technology is distracting us from the living world around us in ways that are um, more insidious than we realize. And so this is, you know, the conscious use of technology is, is part of connecting with the living world. Um, yeah, and so Garden Party is many things. In part, it's um, an online archive of information about 
plant medicine and earth tending practices and recipes and films. And I also put out playlists every month. Um, and it gets released once a month on the new moon and delivered to you via email. And finally, we also have in-person happenings every so often available for garden party members. And I'm looking forward to announcing the next one at some point soon. And then my other home online, if you're interested in having a physical copy, which we just printed, of this technological hygiene guide, it's a really, really lovely booklet that's about 43 pages long, but it's a quick and easy read. And I like the physical copy personally because there's like checklists and places to write. It's almost like a workbook. And um, I think especially for young people who are just getting phones, it's a really wonderful thing to give to them with the phone and maybe, you know, with some adult explanation and shared reading. Um, but those are available um, at my other online home, which is La Abeja Herbs. That's L-A-A-B-E-J-A-H-E-R-B-S dot com. And La Abeja Herbs is um, the place where I offer all of the herbal medicines that I make and um, the physical publications that I offer as well. And if you don't already, I would love to connect with you on Instagram and you can follow me there at La Abeja Herbs or at garden.party.love. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sophia. This has been a very enlightening conversation and I really encourage everyone to check out Garden Party and all of your other work because it's truly one of those places online that um, is bringing beauty and nourishment um, to the online space and to the feeds. So thank you so much for your work, Sophia. Thank you as well. You are such a gifted interviewer and you have such a sweet presence. And I look forward to seeing you at Spirit Weavers and hearing about more experiences like the one you described with the creek. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find more information about Sophia Rose, including links to Garden Party and La Abeja Herbs on our website, moontent.co. And I'm very excited to announce that the Moon Tent Co. shop is opening up online with four moon-inspired teas that you can pre-order now on moontent.co, and those will ship out starting on June 15th. And if you can't wait that long, I have a limited batch of my popular release tincture available now on the website. Release tincture is made especially for cramp relief during that time of the month. The formula calms the nervous system, relieves congestion, and improves circulation. It's something that I use personally at the very first sign of discomfort. I put 5 to 10 drops in water or tea, and I swear to God, it stops my cramps almost before they start. So I highly recommend it. It's something that I share with my nieces, I share with my friends, and I just continue to make because I think to myself, why should people suffer with cramps when there's literally an herb named cramp bark that's made to help us with this. So let's use it. Um, it's a wonderful ally for tuning into your natural rhythm and it's made with organic herbs in small batches on the new moon and harvested on the full moon to amplify its balancing properties. So check out the new shop on moontent.co and I really look forward to hearing all of your feedback about the products and what types of products you might be interested in finding there. If you enjoyed the show today, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. 
I want to give a shout out to M. Heinzkill, who says, This podcast has given to me a perspective on life, energy, and femininity that I had never before thought about or understood. I am always grateful for the thoughtful topics and for the feelings of grace and patience they provoke within me. One of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for your feedback. Our theme music is Butterflies March by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, available on Bandcamp. See you next time. True.